Well, good morning, everyone. I know I'm going to annoy some of you by saying this because it's January 8th, but I'm going to do it anyway. Happy New Year to you. All right. Yeah, it's the first time we're seeing each other for uh, a couple of weeks now. What a joy to gather and worship after two weeks because uh, school was closed to us. It's so good to be here and to sing together and worship God. I love this time of the year, not not just because of resolutions. I don't know how you feel about that, but I love this time of the year because it's a natural time of the year for us to be able to reflect and look forward at the same time. It's normally a time when you get to pause, sometimes with family and friends, but you get to pause and reflect on your year and to find blessings in disguise. What did you, where did you see God's hand in your life that year? What worked well? What didn't work well, right? It's a time to reflect. It's also a natural time to be able to look forward as well, to think about what you hope for in 2023. Or if you've got goals and you're the kind to make resolutions, the kind, I mean, there aren't kinds of people, but if you enjoy making resolutions, that what can you do to take one step in that direction? It's a natural time to reflect and to look forward. But I also know what it's like to be haunted by the new year as well. I can't tell you how many times in the past where I dreaded the new year because it was a reminder that I'm not where I thought I'd be. I'm not who I thought I would be. I don't have what I thought I'd, I, I'd have, right? And I'd often wonder, have I missed my calling? Have I missed my purpose? Is this all that I've been made for? Now, here's the thing. Unless we really get to know each other, it's really difficult to know what your calling is or that specific or unique thing that God has made you for. But there are things that the Bible tells us generally that we are made for, and that's what this series is all about. We're starting a new series today called Made for This, and it's going to take us all the way into Easter. And throughout the series, you're going to see what we as human beings have been made for. We've been made for intimacy. We're going to see the ways that sex kind of tells us about that in ways that sex falls short of helping us see or experience the intimacy that we long for. We're going to see that we were made for dignity, for humility, work and rest, both of those things. Boundaries, we were made for redemption. And today we're going to see that we were made for wonder. You were made to be wowed, all right? We're going to see that in just a moment. But there are two things for us to know today as it relates to wonder. Where wonder starts and where it ends. Where wonder begins, where it starts, and where it ultimately ends. Let's look at the first one. Where wonder starts. So I can't tell you when it happened, but a few years after I became a Christian, something shifted in the way that I thought about God, pleasure, and wonder. Now, there are things that contributed to this. I read uh, Desiring God by John Piper. That was helpful. Uh, some things that C.S. Lewis wrote on pleasure and on wonder was helpful as well. But I had previously, prior to this, thought about the Christian life as denying myself pleasure. And the less I enjoyed something, the more spiritual it was, even for, like, this kind of gathering. 
Like, I grew up in a very charismatic uh, uh, context where if, we, if I enjoyed a time of worship, singing to God, and I felt satisfied and full, I would tell people, man, I really enjoyed worshiping God. There would be people there to correct me and say, well, worship's not all about you. I'd be like, okay, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to like this. You know, like, I, I didn't know how to react to that. Because the more I enjoyed something, the more pleasure I had, then the less spiritual it was. So the, to be more spiritual, I needed to experience less pleasure. It was like God and the world were pitted against each other. Now, to be clear, the Bible warns us about loving this world. And as we're going to see in a moment, that's more a twisted love for creation. We're going to see that. There is a way to love the world in a way that God has not designed, all right? But often when it warns us against loving the world, it's talking about the ways and practices of this world. It's the ways and values that are dominant among a people who do not know God, do not know his love, nor do they love him. It warns us against adopting the ways of this world. It does not warn us against finding pleasure in the world that God has made. There's often a temptation to think that anything that has to do with God is boring, right? Like, oh, I, I, like, I, I want to be more spiritual this year. I want to spend more time with God. But in your heart, you think, oh, that's boring, right? I don't want to read the Bible. Like, I don't want to be alone with God and quiet my heart and spend time with God. That's boring. Like, there's pleasure, and then there's God. And these two things are opposed to each other. But this really isn't so. And that's what I mean by this first point, that wonder starts with God. Where does wonder start? It starts with God. Every pleasure that you and I experience was imagined by God. So the pleasure that you have in seeing a sunrise or sunset, where does that come from? Where does that start? It comes from God. The song of birds, if you could hear it among the traffic and the sound of horns in the morning or the ambulance here or something like that, that's, that's from the Lord. The pleasure of food, it doesn't just nourish our body, but God has wired us to not just use it as a, an experience to nourish ourselves, but to also find enjoyment in it. Laughter, connection, this is all the work of God for our enjoyment. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, where in it he, just to paraphrase something that he says, says that Satan cannot create pleasure. Like, when you think about pleasure, you, you think about, oh, that's the realm of the devil, right? Experiencing pleasure in this world. But really, Satan cannot create pleasure. I think he's right. He can only take our capacity for it and things that give us pleasure that God has made and twist it against God's purposes. So, for example, the pleasure of eating food. We become indulgent and gluttonous, and it ends up ruining us. We become unhealthy right? There's all kinds of diseases that we have because we lack self-control in that area or for a variety of other reasons because it's a way of coping or maybe because we're addicted. He takes something that God has created for our good that we find pleasure in and twists it against God's purposes. Same thing with sex. Addiction to sex or wanting sex in ways that God has not designed, which is between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. He cannot create pleasure. God is the creator of pleasure. He's the source of our capacity for wonder. So when I say wonder starts with God, I mean God is the one who thought of it. He's the one who gives us that hunger, that desire to be wowed. Well, what's another way that I know this? It's because the Bible repeatedly tells us that God has made us to worship him. And what is worship? When you, when you worship, you're in awe. You're, you have gratitude. There is wonder. 
It's not just appeasement, which is what we think of when you think of religious practices and doing things you know you should be doing. You often, you might think of worship as appeasing God. It's not appeasement, it's enjoyment. I used to think that it was odd that God made us to worship him. Like, why would you do that? Like, you need, you, do you need us for your own sense of honor? Like, why would you make us to worship you? But it's not true. It's for us. Like, think of what you feel when you've been wowed by something. Like, yeah, we talk about creation, right? Like, it's, it's easy to be wowed by the ocean or, or mountains or, like, the beautiful night sky. But, think, like, there are times when we're trying to pick a movie or something to watch, and I'm like, I'm in the mood to be wowed by a story. Right? I, just want, I just want someone to take my breath away because of a story that they've written. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from God. Like that experience where you're struck and you wait and linger. There are times when we watch the movie and the best movies for me are when the movie's over and I'm sitting there. Like if you've gone to a theater and seen an amazing movie where everyone is just quiet in the theater. Because you're like, wow, that, that was an incredible story. You've been wowed. You're struck. You wait. You linger until boredom creeps in eventually. You're in awe. You're maybe grateful. You might be moved, and you wake, walk away changed, or maybe you're motivated to tell somebody else about the experience and invite them in so that they would be in wonder as well. Now, if that sight is so captivating and gives you so much joy that you begin to reorient your life around it, that is what worship is. When you're so captivated by some beauty that you reorient your entire life around it, it gives you so much joy and so much satisfaction that you want to even invite other people into it, that wonder, that is worship. Worship is not appeasement, it is enjoyment. And when seen in that way, God calls us to worship and creates us to worship him for our joy. Because he wants to wow you. Like, think about the creator of all things, your creator and mine, saying, I want to wow you, right? Like, most of the gods of the earth that are created want us to impress them because of our religious devotion and what we can do and uh, all the different things that we could do to show, uh, to, to appease it and satisfy it. But that's not the way God has made us. He has made us to be satisfied in him. He wants to wow us. He wants us to be captivated. He wants to be us to be in awe, in wonder, for the sake of our joy, which also declares his worth and his glory. This is what it says in Psalm 19, 1 through 6. Let me grab it real quick. Psalms, Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. What he's saying there is that the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky, his handiwork. The sun is telling you something. The sky is telling you something. It's not using words. You can't hear its speech. But day after day and night after night, it's communicating something to us that this is what God is like. If the mountains are so great, how great are you, God? 
If the sky is this vast, how vast are you, God? If the works of your hands are this beautiful, how beautiful your face must be. It's speaking to us. It's talking to us. It's communicating day after day, night after night. It tells us about the glory of God. But it's not so that we would simply see its glory, but so that we would use it as a channel. We would see through it to see the glory of God. We would see its beauty, but yes, we would see through its beauty to see the beauty of God. Right now, I'm going through a book called God of All Things by Andrew Wilson. And the whole book is about how creation points us to God. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. Um, in fact, for our discipleship groups, it's going to be one of the recommended books that you go through because it works really well with this next sermon series. But it's called The God of All Things by Andrew Wilson. Now, before I read something that he wrote, most of what we know about God is a metaphor. It's a, f a fancy theological word for that is anthropomorphism. So everything we use, all the language you use to describe God is a metaphor that we can relate to. All right. So, for example, God is the lion of Judah. Is God a literal lion? No. But that's one way that we understand him because we can make sense of lions. God is also a lamb. Okay, so he's a lion and he's a lamb. Like, what is, what is it? Is he an actual lamb? No, he's not. It's just one way that we try to make sense of what God is like. We use words that we can understand or symbols that we can understand in order to understand God. But Andrew Wilson writes something that I think is very helpful as we look around at creation and how it might lead us in worship. He writes... Sometimes we look at things upside down. The theologians rightly point out the language used for God in Scripture is anthropomorphic. And we should not take it literally. God does not literally have a mighty arm. The nations are not literally under his feet. Sacrifices do not literally reach his nostrils and so on. But this is only half the story. And in some ways, the less important half. It might be more helpful to say that the world is theomorphic. Things take the form they do because they are created to reveal God. We describe God as the rock, not just because rocks provide a good picture of safety and stability. No, rocks exist because God is our rock. When we flip things around like this, we get a very different picture of the purpose of creation, of physical stuff, of things. So why do rocks exist? Because God is strong. And of all the things that he could create, he created things. He surrounded us with things that let us know what he is like. And he goes on in his book to talk about different things. For example, earthquakes can reveal the glory of God. Galaxies, the greatness of God. Why do gardens exist? Because it reminds us about the presence of God when Adam and Eve were walking in the cool of the garden with God, naked and unashamed. Honey, the sweetness of God. Rainbows, the faithfulness of God, reminding us of Noah and how God was faithful to his promise to never again destroy the earth with a flood. Flowers, the provision of God, because Jesus tells us that God clothes the lilies of the field and how much more would he take care of us? Bread the Son of God, wind, the Spirit of God. Walking here today and you felt a gust of wind and you feel it against your skin and it reminds you of the Holy Spirit who is, told, who, who is called the wind of God. Trees, the cross of God. Here's my question. Can you see the wonder all around you? The things that exist around you that are made for your wonder. Not just so that you would see its beauty, but that you would see through it to see the beauty of God. 
In the Psalms, we are told, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We are to see through it and to see God as the ultimate source of wonder. So here's a little exercise. I want you to rate yourself and where you are today. Which of these phrases or sentences or statements describes you? One, there is no wonder. I'm cynical through and through. This is not a world of wonder. I don't see wonder anywhere around me. There's nothing. To, to, the, the people who live in wonder are just being childish, right? But there's no wonder in this world. Second one, I know there's wonder, but I'm too busy. I don't actually stop to notice it. I don't notice it around me. The things that you've described, it's like, wow, I guess those things do <laughs> are around me, right? But there's no, there is wonder, but I just, I just can't slow down enough to see it. Or three, I see it all around me, but it usually stops there. I never see through it and give thanks to God. So I see it, but not through it to see God. Fourth, and if this describes you, you can grab a sweatshirt on the way home, Okay. <laughs> I see wonder all around me, and it leads me to worship. No, sweatshirts are for everybody. But you're like, I see wonder everywhere. And you know what? It actually leads me to worship God. If you want a resolution for 2023, position yourself for wonder. It's all around you. How can you do that? One of the things that I've decided to do, and Jyoti and I do together every Friday now, is we try to do something every Friday afternoon when we drop the kids off to go and experience the beauty of the city. Like, that's something in our schedule we've written down, we've marked it in our calendar. That same time of the week, we're going to go and enjoy the beauty of the city. We're going to position ourselves in a place of wonder so that we can give thanks to God. Position yourself for wonder because you were made for it. That drive, that capacity that you have, that insatiable hunger that needs to be satisfied, it is designed by God. He is the source of that drive for awe, beauty, and wonder. It starts with him. And when you position yourself for wonder, you're actually going uh, according to the, w the grain and the design of God to lead you in worship. So that's where it starts. Now we're going to look at where wonder ends. Let's read Romans 1, 20 through 25. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So once again, we are told that the glory of God is painted all over creation. It's like that's God's canvas and his glory, his invisible attributes can see, be seen everywhere. And so we haven't lost just our capacity for wonder, but it just never goes far enough. 
He's describing a people who have wonder for creation, but it stops there. It, it ends there. It doesn't go through it, and then they don't give thanks to God, and they don't glorify God. They end up worshiping that created thing. They believe the lie that they, the wonder that they were made for stops with creation. We don't glorify God, nor do we give thanks to him. Instead of seeing the beauty of creation and therefore seeing through it to the beauty of God, it stops there. Our wonder ends there with creation itself. You see, at some point, we experience the emptiness of this, these things. When you're, he talks about animals and creeping things, but really, anything that, uh, that involves creation, like if you are trying to work so you can get uh, I don't know, so, so you can move to a different place and have a certain home, and those are all created things. If right now you experience anxiety every single day because you need your boss's approval, your boss is a created being, right? There are ways to, to, to where you, if, even if you're not making images of animals and things like that, there are way, other ways that we, we are in wonder of creation, and it, our wonder stops there. At some point, though, as I said, we're going to feel the emptiness of it. Like, children are known for their wonder, right? Like, oh, childlike wonder. That's something we pray. God, give us a childlike wonder. But I got to tell you, even th things get boring for kids. <laughs> like, like, yeah, they, they have a wonder of the world, but they get bored of stuff too. Like, we were celebrating Christmas with Jyoti's family, and our kids were opening gifts, and I was thinking, man, they'll, we'll be lucky if their interest in this toy will last beyond two weeks. They get bored. So you know what we do? This is Jyoti's idea. It's, it's brilliant. We hide their toys, and we reintroduce it three months later, and they're like, wow, what, what is this? We're like, Merry Christmas, guys, you know, like, because they forgot they had it. And they just, like, we just keep, like, re-gifting things for them all the time, right? Because they lose, they also, they have a capacity for wonder, but they get bored of stuff. We do, too. Like, can you imagine if somebody comes to you today and be like, hey, guys, did you know that I can, I can unlock my phone with my face? you say be like so like that's not that's not remarkable for you anymore right like it always has to get better and better and more exciting things get old but it's not just things it's not just possessions we feel the emptiness of our goals too don't we like how many times have you said once I get into the school I'll be happy or once I graduate I'll be happy or once I get that job, I'll be happy. Once I move to that city, I'll be happy. Once I settle down, I'll be happy. Or get the apartment or whatever it is. And, or get more money or get a promotion. And then after a while, that's not enough. And you want even more after that, right? So again and again, we realize it's not just stuff, but even for our goals, it ends up leaving us empty. When we, whenever we gaze upon God's gifts, Instead of through it to him, we ultimately will be dissatisfied. I love something that Jim Carrey once said. He said, I wish everyone would become rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. This guy who's famous, he's rich. He's got, you know, I don't know if he's like an A-list actor, but you know, he's got, he's, he's arrived according to many people's definitions. He's like, I wish you could have everything so you could realize it's not the answer. Like, I love, I love my, I love my life. I love Jothi. I love my kids. I love you. I love pastoring this church. But I've realized and I've discovered that it doesn't save me from the bouts of sadness I'll have. Or sometimes the ache of emptiness I still feel that it's not enough. It doesn't cure me from times where I might be susceptible to depression. 
Like I have all these wonderful things and I tell people sometimes I'm ready to fly away and be with Christ. And it's not because I don't love my family or I don't love my life. It's because I've realized its limits. All these things are beautiful, but I was made to see through it and to long for a greater beauty, to experience the beauty that can only be found with the Lord. We need someone who will never exhaust our capacity for wonder, whose beauty is infinite, whose glory never fades. So you might be like, Jason, okay, I hear you. Wonder starts with God and it has to end with God, but how do I get there? What am I supposed to do? Well, you want to position yourself for wonder and see it, see beauty, but then see through it and give thanks to God. And ask yourself, what does that tell you about the kind of God that he's like? And here's the last one. This is critical. You have to see those things as an expression of his love for you. Because if there's any wonder that answers the ache of the human heart, it's the wonder of love. It's to be loved by someone of infinite value and worth, to be looked at and to be delighted in. We're going to see this more when we talk about being made for intimacy. But to be looked at, to be gazed upon in, in, all, in all honesty as we are in our vulnerability. And for that person to look at us and move towards us and love us. The wonder of being loved by someone of infinite worth. Moses knew this, and so why he wrote in Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy us with your love in the morning so that, why? So that we may be re rejoice and be glad all of our days. If you want to be happy every single day, according to Moses, it, you need to ask God, satisfy me with your love. Psalm 143, verse 8, the psalmist writes, let the morning bring word to me of your love. When I wake up, let there be like a word, like news of how much you love me. It's like you can literally pray every day, Lord, love me. <laughs> Tell me you love me. And God will say, yes, I will. And he'll redirect your eyes to Jesus, the ultimate expression and gift of God's love. And you will be in wonder as you gaze upon Christ and his cross and the empty grave. You will, you will experience a profound sense of wonder, one that can never be exhausted as we look to Christ, so that in every season, at every age, whether God gives you the things that you're asking for in 2023 or he withholds it, in every season, at every stage, at every age, you will still be in wonder of his inexhaustible love for you and me. We were made for this. We were made to be, to be loved and be in wonder of that kind of love. Our first trip that we took, and I'll close with this, our first trip that we took after COVID, Jyoti and I got a chance to go away, and we were in a place where we were by the ocean, and it's also a place where you could see the mountains, and you could see the clear blue skies, and it was incredible, and it's when I realized how different that experience was in the city, and of course, yeah, we, we're not, you know, you don't experience that very much here, right, but the drive of the city is to be big, and what I mean is you got to be noticed. If you're going to get promoted, you've got to be noticed, right? Like, you've got to stand out. You've got to be recognized. You've got to shine above your peers. Like, the more you're recognized, the more you're approved, the, the bigger you are, the better. But I remember when we were out there, and we were in front of the ocean, seeing the mountain, and the vast, infinite sky. I'd never felt so much joy and peace in being so small. 
in being and feeling small and being surrounded by something so much bigger and so much more wondrous. It's like I felt like I was home. I'm not going to go move to the beach or anything like that, but my point is that's what we were made for. We were made to find peace in being in wonder and awe of God. Because in that moment, I could not just see these things around me, but I could see through it, see God, and gaze upon his beauty and be in awe of his love for me. As I said before, wonder starts with God. It ends with God. We were made for this.